You know, sometimes things look a lot better on paper than in reality. Maybe there's a candidate to, to fill a, a job position and you look at their resume and it looks like they're going to be the perfect fit. Then when you bring them in for an interview, you realize they're not going to be a good fit. And they perhaps looked better on paper uh, than in the interview. In paper, it looks like one athletic team is going to dominate the other. On paper, it looks like that. And yet, they end up losing the game. Or you have this well-thought-out vision, this beautiful plan for something. And man, it looks so good on paper. And then when you go to implement it, it falls flat. Sometimes I say it about my sermons, right? It'll look good on paper. Our half-true statement this morning falls into the category of it looks way better on paper than in actual reality. And the statement is this, love the sinner, hate the sin. Love the sinner, hate the sin. Like the other cliches that we've talked about in this series, like it sounds so good to us, it looks so good on paper that it's hard for us to imagine what could possibly be wrong with it. And like the other statements, most of the time, we might even mean well when we say it. That doesn't change the fact that it may miss the deeper truth that Jesus wants us to know and to practice. Let's pray. God, open our hearts and minds to your word for us this day. We pray that it would take root there, transform our lives into the likeness of your son, all for your sake, for your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Two scriptures this morning, both from the Gospel of, of Matthew. Uh, I'll be reading first from chapter 7. I invite you to listen carefully where you are. You can follow along on the screen as well. Jesus is teaching here, and he says, Don't judge so that you won't be judged. You'll receive the same judgment you give. Whatever you deal out will be dealt to you. Why do you see the splinter that's in your brother or sister's eye, but don't notice the log in your own eye? How can you say to your brother or sister, let me take the splinter out of your eye when there's a log in your eye? You deceive yourself. First take the log out of your eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother or sister's eye. And then from uh, Matthew, the twenty. Uh, 22nd uh, chapter, um, there's, one, the, the, there's one verse on there, but I'm going to actually give you the one before. This is when um, the Pharisees are asking Jesus about what the greatest commandment is. And Jesus says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your being and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You must love your neighbor as you love yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, if, there, if there was ever a place in Jesus's ministry where you would have thought he would have said and taught the phrase, love the sinner, but hate the sin, it would have been in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Seek first God's kingdom, and everything else will be added unto you. Uh, you have heard it said to you. Um, you have heard it said to you, to um, you know, don't um, 
to hate, hate, the, hate your enemy and, and love your neighbor, but I tell you, you should love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. All of these kind of nuggets of, of truth and, and wisdom, love the sinner, hate the sin, should be right there, it sounds like, right? Should be right there, it would fit there, but Jesus doesn't say it. He doesn't say it there. He doesn't say it anywhere. In fact, it's nowhere in Scripture. It's nowhere in Scripture. Does God love sinners? Absolutely. If Jesus, if Jesus didn't love sinners, that means Jesus doesn't love us. The Apostle Paul writes, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. Jesus was called a friend to sinners. His own ministry, right? Does God hate sin? Yes. God doesn't like anything that would drive a wedge in between us and God or between us and one another. God doesn't like anything that inflicts harm on us or others. God especially then if, uh, hates the effects of sin. So God loves sinners and God hates sin, but God never commands us to love the sinner and hate the sin. Part of where that phrase comes from is actually a quote by Gandhi. When Gandhi wrote, the phrase, hate the sin and not the sinner, is a precept which, though easily, uh, is, which is easy enough to understand, rather, is rarely practiced. And that is why the poison of hatred spreads in the world. You see the irony there? Gandhi's actually quoting that phrase and talking about how using this phrase is an excuse to judge people because we really don't know how to practice it well enough. It can't be effectively practiced. In other words, it looks way better on paper. The closest thing to it in Scripture, the closest thing to it in Scripture comes from Romans 12 when Paul tells Christians there, let love be genuine. Hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with mutual affection, outdo one another in showing honor. So while, while hating evil and loving one another are both in there, they're not interdependent, right? As if hating what is evil in someone else's life is the way that we love them well. And Paul, by the way, is talking about hating the evil that we're tempted to pursue in our own lives, not someone else's. So what does Jesus say? What does Jesus say? What does Jesus do? I mentioned one place where you would have thought if Jesus was going to talk about this, he would have done it. Right there in the Sermon on the Mount. But instead of, of saying, love the sinner and hate the sin, he teaches something else. He says something different related to sin. And we read it this morning. Don't judge so that you will not be judged. Why do you see the splinter in your brother or sister's eye, but don't notice the log in your own eye? Apparently, Jesus recognized the human tendency to judge others. The human tendency to justify ourselves over and against someone else to raise our own sense of self. Jesus doesn't teach love the sinner, hate the sin, because he knows despite our best efforts, we human beings get into trouble when we start getting into the sin policing business. We don't hate our own sin well enough 
to hate someone else's. We don't hate our own sin well enough to hate someone else's. He probably knew how easily because of our own sinfulness, we would use this phrase as a weapon against certain subgroups. Ask anyone who's been on the receiving end of being loved while their sin is hated. It feels more like hatred than love. I've never known someone who said, you know, my Christian friend hates my sin, but I know they really love me. This phrase as as a mantra gives us the excuse to embrace people only with an armful of disclosures about how all sinners are welcome while constantly reminding only certain ones of their status as sinners. Pastor Martin Thielen, a pastor in, in Tennessee, writes about a minister that he knew that officiated a funeral for a man who died of AIDS. He writes, several other pastors in town refused to handle the funeral because the man had AIDS, because the man was gay, and because they knew those attending the funeral would also be gay. About 30 men showed up for the the graveside funeral. The minister conducted the, the service as best he could. It's hard when you don't really know someone. He did the best he could. He said the closing prayer. He gave the blessing, and nobody moved. He motioned then and indicated that, that they were free to go, that they could, they could leave, but they wouldn't. Finally, the minister said, is there, is there something else that I, can, that I can do for you, something more I can do? One of them said, yeah, don't they, don't they usually read the, the 23rd Psalm at, at these things? Would you mind reading that? And so he did. And then another spoke up and said, isn't there something in the scriptures about nothing separating us from the love of God? Can you read that? So we turned to Romans 8 and read the scripture passage. And then one of the men said, can you read us that passage about God raising us up on on eagle's wings? And he turned to Isaiah 40 and and read it. And this continued to to go on and on. And, And Thielen comments and writes, these men desperately wanted to hear the word of God, desperately wanted to experience and know God's love, have spiritual connection in their in their lives. They were starving. They were thirsty for God. Many of them had been raised in in the church and still loved God. However, because of their sexual orientation, many Christians told them that they were deviant, hated by God, unwelcome in church. Harsh judgment from Christians, perhaps even disguised as love, had pushed them away from God and the church. The point is... We can love the sin or hate the sin, someone right out of faith in church. We should love the sinner. And we should hate anything that hurts our relationship with God, that hurts God's desire and God's design for human flourishing. But, but Jesus knew that, that loving a sinner and hating their sin would lead us to focus on their sin. And if we focused on someone else's sin, then that would begin to be the primary thing that we saw, the primary thing that that governed our interaction with them. 
Like we've already made an identity declaration about them. They are sinner first, not human being, brother, uh, sister, mother, father, Christian, neighbor. No, they're sinner first. Yes, of course we might say, but I'm a sinner too. I mean, all people sin and fall short of the glory of God, right? Yes. But is that the primary way? Is that the primary way that we as followers of Jesus are called to see the people around us, even ourselves? Is that the primary way? Do you think that's how God primarily sees us? Is that how Jesus primarily saw the people whose lives he touched in the Gospels? As sinners? And the Gospels show us that Jesus spent so much time with drunkards, prostitutes, zealots, tax collectors, thieves, and others who were certainly sinners. He ate with them. He healed them. He even called some of them to be his disciples. But he never said or he never acted in a way that said, I love you, but I hate your sin. In other words, he didn't act like they were sinners. They weren't a project. They were people with names, his friends, ultimately defined as people created in the image of God and not defined by their sins. Just think about the story of the woman caught in adultery. To the Pharisees, she was a sinner. That's why they drug her to Jesus and wanted to stone her to death. But Jesus knelt with her in the dirt, unafraid to affirm humanity, unafraid to get dirty himself. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. He could have said, you're a sinner, but I love you anyway. But by telling her, go and sin no more, he affirmed that sin was not her deepest identity. Like, don't do this anymore because this isn't really who you are at your core. It's not how he saw her. It's not who she was at the core of her being. In Luke 7, there's a similar story about a woman who may have been a a prostitute that shows up uninvited, crashes the dinner party of a man named Simon, where Jesus is the guest of honor. Simon is the host. Much to the disgust of Simon, this woman starts anointing Jesus' feet with perfume and drying them with her hair. And Jesus says to the woman, your sins are forgiven. He doesn't say to her, I forgive you, but your sins disgust me. So in other words, Jesus doesn't seem to talk about other people's sin and how much he hates it. He seems to talk about God's forgiveness and how ready he is to offer it. Jesus doesn't seem to see people primarily as sinners, but as human beings, friends, neighbors. The only time that I see, and if you want to look and find somewhere else, I'm, I'm open to it. The only place I see in the Gospels where Jesus actually uh, seems to demonstrate a kind of hatred of sin 
is when people with power and supposed religiosity use their status to cheat the poor, to exclude the least, and to lead with hypocrisy that hurts believers. That's when Jesus turns over tables. That's when Jesus calls people brood of vipers. This is when Jesus calls out the Pharisees for being hypocrites, for policing, right, what, what other people sin all the while being blind to their own. Jesus loves sinners. Jesus loves sinners, but he never said, love the sinner. Never gave that command. You know what he did say? You know what he did command? Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. That's the real truth. It's part of the greatest commandment. It sums up all of the law, Jesus says. Your neighbor, of course, we know is everyone you meet. Neighbor includes sinner, but not necessarily the other way around. By saying love your neighbor, Jesus is saying love sinners. The difference is you see them as neighbors to love and not sinners to judge. Your neighbor is someone who breaks just the same as you do. Your neighbor is someone in need, not just someone you think needs fixing. Your neighbor is a fellow human being created in the image of God. If Jesus wanted us primarily relating one to the other as sinner to sinner, maybe he would have said, love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love the sinner and hate their sin. But he doesn't, and he didn't because he wanted us to relate to each other neighbor to neighbor. Neighbor to neighbor. That doesn't mean necessarily like having warm, fuzzy feelings for them all the time or, or liking them personally. It does mean doing good for them and to them and with them, showing kindness toward them. If I, if I love if I love people more as a sinner than as my neighbor, then that always is going to lead to judgment because I'm going to be preoccupied with what I think is wrong with you and there will always be that distance. There will always be that distance. I'll love you despite the fact that you're a sinner sounds way more self-righteous than I will love you because you're my neighbor despite my own sin. Now I know what some of y'all are thinking right now. I can read your minds. Pastor, does that mean we're just supposed to like turn a blind eye to, uh, to evil or to just become this nice, comfy, cozy place for sin to grow and, and, and hide? Of course not. Of course not. In our baptismal vows as United Methodists, we say that we will resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. There are sins that we must hate and denounce that harm others, that oppress, that do evil, like domestic abuse and racism and injustice and human trafficking and indifference toward others and, and this epidemic of gun violence that we have in our, in our nation. But here's the thing. Righteous indignation doesn't get to start and stop with our distant judgment. It's supposed to turn into love and action. It's supposed to turn into love in action. It's supposed to turn into energy for transformation. 
part of our witness as followers of Jesus is to stand up to evil and resist it. But ultimately, it's God's job to convict and to judge, and it's our job to love. Yes, there's sin in the world. I think we all know that all too well, especially this morning. Yes, we all miss the mark and and fall short of God's glory. The only one, however, only one who is perfectly able to love sinners while hating sin is God. For human beings like us, loving sinners while hating sin looks way better on paper than in reality. We cannot and do not practice it well. It is more likely than not to simply lead to judgment, distancing, and harm. It's a big difference between accountability and judgment. Accountability is someone's actually giving us permission to call them out. That's why Jesus never commanded us to live with this as our mantra. What he did command us to do is to love our neighbor, a truth that encompasses all that God calls us to do. Love our neighbor, lay aside our own sin. Love our neighbors, lay aside our own sins. Let's try using that phrase instead. And let's make it look good on more than just paper. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.